Manager, Head of Strategy at Ofsted. Uh, joining us today, we have Diana Bird from Shifty College and John Laramie, Principal from Exeter College. And we also have uh, Ofsted's finest, Richard Bynan and Paul Joyce, who work on the Further Education and Skills policy. So today we're going to be talking about T levels. Uh, we're actually recording this podcast the day after the announcement by the Prime Minister about plans to change T levels and A levels. Uh, we're awaiting the developments with interest, but in the meantime, we're going to talk about T levels anyway. A question for our two guests: um, Are students enjoying T levels? Uh, they very much are. Um, so we get really good feedback from the students uh, who take them, uh, and they go on to some amazing progression opportunities. I would say that uh, we've certainly had really positive feedback from the students who've chosen them. I think that they aren't for every student. I think it is a demanding programme. It's a big programme. Uh, and I think in certain areas, finding the industrial placement is a real challenge. But students are really enjoying the T-level, getting a lot out of it. And what we've been amazed by is how students have been able to progress straight from a T-level into things like a degree apprenticeship. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with John. I think it's very much about making sure that you've recruited the right students onto the onto the T-level programme. Uh, and for the students that are well suited to a T-level, um, it is a fantastic experience. And um, we've seen similar things in terms of our students' progressions. So great experiences when they get into the right placements with the with employers who uh, appreciate uh, what those students are contributing to those organisations. And a number of our students have progressed to employment in those organisations where they've had their placements, which has been an amazing outcome for them. So for the right students, a fantastic programme. Can I just ask, um, one of the things that we reported on in our thematic review of the um, rollout of T-levels was that some, and they, I think it was a small minority, but some um, T-level students had difficulty getting their T-level recognised as an entry qualification for higher education. Is is that still a problem or, or has that been a problem for your students? I'll, I'll be honest, in the area that we're working in, um, in West Yorkshire, we've not found that at all. So uh, we even had one of our first cohort um, secure a place at one of the Russell Group universities. So that was a really positive outcome there. Um, in terms of our local universities, which is where the majority of our students uh, generally from the college tend to progress, um, we've worked really, really closely with them. So I think it's about the work that you do uh, with your local universities or with the universities, sure. the single universities, um, to, to help them to understand the T-level. And I think that's been one of our big challenges as, the, as educators and as colleges, we've, we've become very familiar with the T-levels um, but I don't think that that's something that is uh, that that is that is a generally shared um, piece of knowledge, and that's that's going from schools to students to parents and and also into the universities. So um, we've we've worked with them to help them to understand the curriculum, to help them to see uh, what students will be studying, and the universities have then been been very happy to take our students. But equally, they've amended their own curriculum in response to what's in. The T-level curriculum because what we were finding with a lot of the curriculum in the T-level was replacing what was in the first year of the degree so they've had to amend their programs so we've, we've certainly won them over um, because the amount of content and the challenge the difficulty of the T-level uh, convinces universities that that those students have really demonstrated a high level of skill when they've achieved a good grade in a T-level 
I think um, it's a great question, Richie. I think my my experience um, is a little bit different uh, to uh, Diana. I think in terms of some universities are very open to T-levels, uh, where they understand them, they've learned about them. I would say that it's not yet uh, uniformly accepted right across uh, the full suite of universities. And I think that's a piece of work for us collectively to do to help this uh, the T-level brand grow, yeah. to help it be more recognised. So, so I think that there are opportunities for young people to progress to uh, university from T-levels. Uh, but I think it's probably uh, slightly narrower than we wish it to be. And there's probably a narrower choice. Both of you sort of emphasised in your opening remarks that these are great for the right sort of student. Do a little sort of pen picture of the sort of student you think really benefits from T-levels. So it's a young person who has a particular interest in a particular uh, vocational discipline uh, where they sort of know that's where their passion lies, is relatively able. So, so I think one of the things that we need to be really open and honest about is that T-levels are very uh, rigorous and large programmes. Uh, the assessment mechanism is very, very challenging. Uh, and uh, the content uh, in some areas, uh, I think, as uh, Diana was saying, you know, you're, you're in some cases you're studying at year one of degree level content. So that does mean you need to work very hard to get the right student on the right course. And um, I think the industrial placement also adds uh, an extra uh, element of excitement. There's no doubt that is a bit of the magic formula. But the hybrid working uh, that changed after the pandemic has put some additional barriers in certain areas. And I think in some areas we've, we've probably got a, a pre-COVID policy for, for a, for a post-COVID world. And I, I think, you know, and I, I think that was something Ofsted commented about, about the particular challenges in, in some areas. Uh, but my experience is it's a young person who may have in the past done A-levels and uh, this young person has chosen to do something in an area that they're really interested in. And kind of conversely, do you have any students who you think don't do well with T-levels? And can you do a sort of similar picture of what, what that sort of person is like? Yeah, I'll, I'll pick that one. I think um, John talked about assessments. Um, the assessment is extremely rigorous and, um, and very, very academic. And that's not suited to all of our students. Uh, I think at the moment where we're in a position where, where T-levels form part of an offer, that sits alongside A-levels, B-techs, various other types of qualifications, uh, and we're able to identify those sorts of students, it provides another option for a different type of student. So probably a student you know, who would have gone down that A-level route. So conversely, the T-level is not appropriate for um, a lot of the students who have traditionally taken those vocational qualifications within colleges. And I think from my point of view, that's that's the group of students I'm most worried about. At the moment, I have an alternative for those students. And those students are still able to study to level three to be able to demonstrate their skills in a very different way. Uh, not always through that sit down formal examination, um, but being able to demonstrate them in much more practical, consistent, other rigorous ways of assessment. And, uh, and so at the moment, while we have that option, the T-level enhances the qualification offer that we have for our students. My big concern at the moment is that all of the research that has been done has been looking at students that have been selected or have been guided towards the T-level because we know that they are they fit that profile that John was talking about. My big concern is that we haven't really considered um, and the T-level review doesn't really consider how they will be rolled out, how they will serve 
uh, and meet the needs of students who are who, who we currently are not choosing to put onto T-levels because there's something else that is better for them. And I think that the, the review might have looked very different had, uh, had it been done in three or four years time, if that were to be the only level three offer that we have for our students. I think the, the other thing I'd probably add to, to that is just around the capacity uh, and space to deliver things like a GCSE retake. Mm. I think one of the positive things about a T-level is the expectation of additional teaching hours. I think with that comes the challenge that if a, particular, if a student has a particular skill in an area, at like English, but hasn't quite got there for maths, mm. alongside other level three programmes, we're able to fit a GCSE retake in alongside that, where the young person is a level three student, but just has one area that they need to work on and, and retake. That isn't possible with, the, in my experience, that's not possible with the T-level. So it's it's legally possible, but it's not practically possible. And I think that's something that we just need to be really cognizant of, and I think is is a challenge which sort of leans to, to the point uh, that Diana was making, really, is that that it's important that we do have other options. They're not for every student. And, and John, you referred there to the it not being practical or possible to introduce uh, other qualifications alongside. That's simply because the hours involved in a T-level soak up the students' timetable, make it impossible for them to, to do another qualification alongside. Correct. Uh, so, mm. so it's partly the hours that need to be deployed and the hours that need to be deployed for the industrial placement, uh, but it's also the content. So in some of the, the T-levels, um, the exam element 60 hours in duration. So to fit that exam in, one needs to start assessing that in February. Uh, and of course, that's a particular challenge. There's only so many hours in the day. For many colleges, young people do quite a commute to get to college because they've chosen that college as their destination of choice. So, you know, it's not practical because a logical explanation could be, could you stretch the day? These young people, they're already leaving home very early in the morning, getting home quite late at night. And you've both talked about the assessment element of the programmes. One of the things that we highlighted in our thematic review, and actually we made as part of our recommendation back to the Department for Education, was to look at the assessment loading across T-levels uh, because some seem to carry a very heavy burden of assessment. Um, staff found that difficult, students found that overpowering really. Is, is that something that you've been aware of and has that perhaps even shaped your choice of which T-levels to offer? I, th I think for me, very aware. Um, and I think it's one of those challenges that um, you know, one of the, the, the nice things about the Ofsted review is you looked at the totality of the T-level. If you look at different elements, if you take the health T-level, for, for example, and you look at the different, I think it's eight different components in the assessment, on their own, each of them look really good. But when you add them all up, the scale yeah. and bureaucracy to manage that particular yeah. process uh, with potentially quite a big growing cohort of students all of a sudden isn't any longer a viable proposition. So, so for me, I think yeah. it's it's almost using the, the findings that you have as Ofsted and using that to really scale up T-levels and say, well, if they were bigger, what would the assessment regime be like? And I think that's yeah. where we need to do that piece of work now to not lose the ethos, but to actually make it scalable. So that would be my experience. I don't know if Diana's had a similar experience. 
I agree, I, I like the style, and I'll talk again about the health one, I particularly like the style of the way that that's done and the way that mimics um, the kind of assessment that, that young people would have if they progress on to university or if they take on that career. But the sheer numbers of staff, physical space, so the rooms that you need to do that, um, and you also need a, you know, a large number of specialist staff to be running those assessments. And not all colleges will have seven or eight people who are specialists in that area who can run that qualification. And I'll tell you, we actually had ended up when we made the decision for the employer set project, um, which is the eight assessments in lots of different spaces with students separated, obviously, so they can't communicate. We, we opened at the weekend because that was the only way that we could find the space to do that while the college was was running. So it's it's very, very resource heavy, apart from the pressure that it puts on um, staff and students. Great to hear the things you're doing to to make T-levels work for, for your students. Um, I think we found, you know, at, at their best, T-levels are a really, really good programme um, and students uh, and providers do do really you know benefit from offering them within a wider curriculum offer. John, you touched on, and it's something we uh, we majored on in our review about industry placements and some of the challenges there. Could you tell us a bit more about that, John? There is no doubt that the the industry placement is a is a, a, a magic element of of the T level. So, so I, I would not, you know, for a minute, be saying it's not a great idea. Uh, but I think in certain areas, by geography, by location, uh, by the type of industry that sit in an area. I think that uh, we do now need to think carefully about what is reasonable and achievable for, for each of the different individual pathways. And I think that how I would like to see it is, is on a continuum. If you had childcare at one end of the continuum, where you would say that there is no way you can replicate looking after a three-year-old, having two children myself, I can un un understand what that's like. Uh, there's no way you can replicate looking after a three-year-old in any other way than actually doing that. So, so for me, that needs a pretty big, sizable industrial placement because that's what's required. For digital, today we're, we're doing this podcast uh, in different offices spread across the country. That's how many digital staff now work. We can give individuals and young people great experiences of new digital experience, new digital platforms, uh, different coding that perhaps doesn't sit on the syllabus to enhance their learning if they're unable to get an industrial placement for the full duration. And it seems to me that sort of one size fits all model isn't quite right for the post COVID world that we now operate in. And perhaps T levels need on that continuum to have an expectation at one end of childcare, and then perhaps a slightly different expectation if it's a digital, digital. Um, level. And I think it's it's almost it's just really important we have this honest conversation uh, to continue the development and evolution of them so that they are great, so that they make a difference to UK PLC, and so that providers uh, are able to to scale and improve them year after year. Our students have some amazing experiences, like John said. I think that um, anybody who's been involved in work placements will tell you that uh, when students go out and have a good experience, have a really high quality experience, uh, what they learn on that is completely uh, is completely irreplaceable. So you provide students with that whole range of employability skills, and um, and you give them real life experiences, and you put them head and shoulders above. Uh, the student, and I'll be honest, the student, uh, my, my children have gone through and done, uh, done A-levels, 
some they go through they do their a levels they gain the qualifications they they you put them alongside a student who's been on a t level who spent hours in a placement um in industry and they i would argue they can't compete in terms of those employability skills and and the stories that they have to tell and what that adds to their cv so in the best placement students go in go and they're given particular tasks to do they're given um, projects to carry out uh, and to take ownership of and and that gives them an amazing story to tell at interview however it's really challenging to provide that consistency of quality to scale up those number of placements so at the moment you know i think last year three and a half thousand students did a t-level and we found it difficult to find the right sort of quality placements for all of those students now three and a half thousand is a really really small number across the country we yeah really good point it's a very it's a very big challenge for us to find um the number of placements that are required and and we'll be competing with each other we'll be competing with the other colleges we'll be competing with schools who who start to come on board and who also want to deliver t-level placements but we're also competing with universities uh who can who can pay towards their placements so that you know that's been a, a bit of a challenge for us and I think the other big challenge that we found is that we are talking about 16-year-olds starting on these programmes. Now, these 16-year-olds, particularly in the post-pandemic world, they're, they're often quite experienced, uh, you know, there's a poverty of experience there. And, um, we, you know, a lot of what we talk about are those employ employability um, skills and behaviours that employers are looking for. Now, at 16, many of our students, they don't have them yet. And so we can talk very, very convincingly uh, with employers about them, and we can give them great examples. But when we send that six, and, and we uh, when we send that sixteen-year-old, they leave us. They, they obviously we go through a long period with them of preparing them. We talk to them about behaviours. We train them for those behaviours. But when they go into that placement as a sixteen-year-old walking in, um, they don't always exhibit those behaviours that we are expecting them to to present by the end of their programme. And so, you know, there's, there's a, we, we have to work really hard with the employers to set very realistic expectations of what they're going to get with a 16 year old who comes in on placement. We have to convince them of the value that that will bring uh, to their organization. And, you know, and we've had a lot of success with that, but they also need to know that they are investing in our young people um, that they will be part of that young person's development and growth. They're getting a young person who needs their support, their guidance, um, and an opportunity. Um, so so I, I think that's a challenge. The, the other one I would say very specifically around the health area is it's a real challenge to get a 16 year old, a placement in a hospital. The experiences that they get on the very best placements. We have students within the first week see a baby be born, see a hip replacement, but we also see a, had a student see, um, see somebody on their ward die. And these are big issues, um, both very positive and very sad. Uh, realities of the industry they're going into that we have to prepare them for. So the challenges are, are, are huge, but the benefits are immense when we get it right. I think the only thing I'd uh, probably add would be, you know, not for, uh, to not forget is travel. I think particularly in rural areas uh, where young people are doing, you know, significant commutes to get to their college or provider. I think then to try and find a, a travel route to a different location of a great employer who just happens to be in the next town or the next city uh, or in the middle of uh, nowhere as, as uh, you would imagine in Devon we have occasionally 
I think that's something for us to just bear in mind that sometimes it's it's a um, a practical challenge. In a, in a strange way, there are difficulties if you're in a metropolitan area because uh, different colleges might be soaking up the available employer placements. But actually, there are also difficulties in a in a rural area where the opportunities are further afield and more more sort of thinly spread. On on the back of what you've both said about um, students being ready and, you know, hitting that age of 16, entering such a big demanding programme. Can we talk a little bit about the transition programme for T-levels? Um, there's a one year transition programme at level two for these these programmes. Um, we found some some shining examples and some less uh, positive examples when we did the thematic. Can I ask you, A, first of all, do you do you engage with the T-level transition programme and B, your views on it if you if you do? In our in the first few years, we haven't and um, we found that to be a really difficult sell to students in terms of sort of what they're going to get from that, because often what they need is a lot of maths and English, which isn't necessarily yeah. the appeal. So, yes, it has the placements, um, but they're going to be spending time resitting and, and re, you know, it, that's often the barrier uh, to them being able to engage on a T level. However, we have introduced the MASOV this year. Uh, we can see the benefits of developing a programme uh, which essentially looks something like a three-year programme. So for some of our students, they will need that three years in order to achieve the T-level. So the two are very closely integrated, the transition programme and then the eventual T-level. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. We've been running the transition programme uh, for a while um, and I would say that I think the main function of, of the transition programme needs to be to help the young person achieve their maths and English. Uh, I think we, we see that as an absolutely critical element. Uh, I think our learning thus far has been that it also works well to have a small vocational qualification within that, uh, even though it's not mandated within the guidance. Uh, we found it's actually really helpful for a, for a young person to have a bit of a North Star uh, that's going with the thing I'm passionate about is this, so that if I can keep working towards a qualification in the thing I'm interested in alongside my maths and English, uh, we think that's probably the solution we're homing in on. And presumably that gives them a sense of achievement after year one uh, builds their confidence if they get that nested vocational qualification. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it was really lovely, actually. Uh, we had a visit uh, last Monday and one of the students who's now on the, the health T-levels did the transition programme the year before, managed to get their maths and English, but also got some skills around that health component that, that's a great stepping stone, if you like, um, into the T-level. But, you know, designing a programme to lead you on to another programme is quite a complicated thing to say, you know, I know you're passionate about IT, Great news, you're going to be studying quite a lot of maths and quite a lot of English. Designing those programmes and getting the right staff in the right environment, I think, is a really important element. You know, part of the T-level uh, transition programme offer is meant to be some form also of work placement. Uh, does that have additional difficulties in that some of those transition level students may be uh, you know, a, a step further back to the folks you were both talking about earlier on, they're even less ready, as it were, to go out and engage. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, it's also been exacerbated by the, by the pandemic. There's no doubt that, that I think young people have learned less social skills just because they had periods of lockdown. And I think we're all working very hard to get the right behaviour, attitudes and attendance mm. into young people. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely amplified the challenge. One of the things we found was some difficulty that staff that typically taught on BTEC and, and other programmes found the transition to T-level teaching and particularly assessment a little bit difficult. One or two issues with sort of staff retention and recruitment on these programmes. Can you give us a bit of a flavour about how you've dealt with that? I did have a bit of time to listen to the Prime Minister's announcement yesterday and uh, uh, was very, very pleased that, that staffing in further education and staffing in technical disciplines were, was sort of front and centre. Um, it's not been easy. Uh, you know, it's a great quote that I really like, which is any education system can only be as good as the people who work in it. Uh, and certainly that's my experience. So we have we have found it difficult, uh, but but we have also found that we've got some amazing staff who've come from health, come from digital uh, who have really embraced the concept of the industry element of the T-level, uh, but it's not easy. You know, on our college risk register, um, staffing, particularly for those higher technical rows, is probably our biggest risk and our biggest challenge. Uh, really interesting, John. Di Diana, what's, what's your perspective on staffing? I think we've experienced the same sort of challenges as John in terms of um, trying to recruit people with the right skill set into uh, into the organisation. One of the one of the ways that we've we've worked with our current staff, obviously, there's been quite a considerable amount of um, training that's been put out um, by the uh, Education Training Foundation, which um, we've prioritised for our staff. We've also uh, encourage them strongly encourage them to do much more in terms of sort of industrial updating so getting them back out into the sector uh, having lots of conversations with employers so that they can update their skills you know if it's existing staff who are moving across the t level we need to make sure that their skills and their knowledge are up to date with the with the industry and you know a lot of the industries we're working with are incredibly fast paced um, but also where we've we've recruited from industry as well and that comes with that brings great benefits because they come uh, very with very current knowledge but then you're taking somebody who is a, a specialist in their area and you're developing them as a teacher whilst also developing a brand new program and and some of the yeah. additional challenges we've had around that have been the amount of materials that we've received from awarding bodies or the you know the example questions or style of exams because everything's so new we're not just bringing on uh, bringing people in from industry to train them as teachers in something that as colleges we're hugely confident with we're actually asking them to develop brand new programs alongside that so industrial updating and um, uh, relationships with employers are absolutely central to ensuring that the teaching and learning um, is current, is up to date, and is inspiring for our for our young people. But it, it, it is a really challenging area, um, and recruiting staff from industry where they can be paid significantly more than I'm able to pay them at the college. You know, there are lots of people I think who will be interested in moving into teaching and sharing the experience that they've had over years, but the salaries are just not comparable. Thank you very much, everyone. It's been really interesting to hear about T-levels. Uh, we've just got time for a few final reflections. And um, I wondered, as part of that, whether you'd be able to say whether if you had your time again, you would do a T-level and if so, what in? 
Oh, that, that's that's a pretty easy one for me to answer. Uh, I think after starting doing an apprenticeship, I then did a uh, a BTEC uh, ONC back in the day, and then a BTEC HNC ONC, which is an ordinary national certificate. HNC, a high national certificate. Uh, all of that part time. So, so I definitely would have been a candidate for a T level uh, back in the day. I went down your traditional A-level route, so I, I, if I'm quite honest, I think that's probably where I would go again. It's where my children have gone um, also. However, having seen the huge benefits that come with the, the, the quality industrial placements, I would like to see those added into the, to the, uh, the A-level programme because I think that they give young people an amazing advantage over students who take that classic academic route. I think probably I'd be quite interested in one of the um, T-levels that's being launched this this year, which is in the, the fourth wave of T-levels, and that's the legal one. Always had a, a hankering to be a kind of um, a, a courtroom a courtroom voice. <laughs> so I think I'd pursue the legal one. Darina, I had a, a, a very similar journey to, uh, to what John described with apprenticeships and a, a technical and vocational education my background being in construction and engineering. So I'm certainly a T-level fan. I would happily go and do a T-level at their institutions. I think that there are some there are some issues that policymakers need to address to make these truly reach the potential that they're capable of. So thank you so much to our guests, Diana and John. And thank you very much to Ofsted's finest, Paul and Richard, for a really interesting conversation about T-Levels. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks.